And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Good morning. Everyone is uh, staying uh, warm. Even uh, South Florida is cool. Uh, today is uh, Monday, January 22nd. Uh, last week we saw the uh, S&P hit a uh, record high. So we will uh, talk about uh, financial markets, Federal Reserve, uh, portfolio, construction, and uh, we'll also talk about a few different uh, individual uh, equity ideas. So we're going to start this morning out with uh, some words of wisdom from two oracles from uh, two different uh, two different dis- dis- disciplines. Uh, one from the uh, sports arena. Uh, Nick Saban, who is uh, retiring as the uh, head football coach at the uh, University of Alabama. And uh, what he would tell his players is, if you want to be happy for a day, play golf. If you want to be happy for a week, buy a new car. If you want to be happy for a month, get a dog. But if you want to be truly happy, answer this. Is anyone going to miss you when you're gone? Next up, some words of wisdom from... Oracle, this is the uh, Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett, who says, three choices in life separate those who achieve from those who dream. Number one, we've uh, talked about this in the past before, condition yourself to say no to most things. He said the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. Number two, choose people operating on integrity. Integrity is a non-negotiable aspect of Buffett's business practice, and he vows to only hire people who he believes possess it. And here's what he said. If you're going to get someone without integrity, you want them to be lazy and dumb. And number three is build up your knowledge daily. According to Buffett, the key to success is to go to bed a little smarter each day, what he calls the Buffett formula. And here's Buffett from years back. Read 500 pages every week. That's how knowledge builds up like compound interest. The idea of reading 500 pages a week might sound daunting, but the essence lies in the compounding effect it has on your intellect, much like compound interest in investing. So with those thoughts as a backdrop, we will uh, take a look at uh, what's going on uh, this morning, and uh, we will talk about uh, financial markets. So First off, uh, what's going on this morning is we are seeing some continued strength after the S&P 500 hit a record high on Friday. Dow is also uh, touching record highs, and the NASDAQ has uh, come roaring back, uh, although uh, some ways away from uh, all-time highs. Uh, we are seeing S&P futures right now up about 19 points above fair value. NASDAQ futures about 119 above fair value, and Dow futures are up uh, just about 90 points. Pre-open action uh for the market, uh, has seen uh, the markets uh, building upon the close on Friday. Ongoing strength in tech stocks has supported the positive bias this morning in front of a busy week of earnings and economic data. Uh, this week, we get earnings from United Airlines, Verizon, Procter & Gamble, Netflix, Tesla, Intel, and Caterpillar are among the notable names reporting this week. On the economic calendar, the first reading of fourth quarter GDP will be released on Thursday, followed by the December Personal Income and Spending Report on Friday, which features the Fed's preferred inflation measure in the form of PCE price increases. And interestingly, the expectation is that will come in around 2%, which is uh, the number that the Fed has been guiding us towards as their goal uh, for inflation. Um, Of course, one reading uh, is not enough necessarily to satiate the Fed, but it certainly is a step in the right direction. 
In other news, Houthi rebels are seeking more weapons from Iran, according to Politico. But this morning's price action does not indicate that the market is too worried about a larger issue in the Middle East, despite continued uh, fighting between uh, different states. Uh, Israel over the weekend uh, took out some uh, Iranian uh, Iranian uh, Quds force, uh, forces and leaders in Syria, and Iran had vowed to retaliate. Markets uh, choosing not to focus uh, on those events, at least this morning. In fact, uh, oil not responding much either, up only about 20 cents a barrel this morning. And we are seeing a reduction in Treasury yields this morning. The 10 years down six basis points to 409 after a big run-up last week to 415. Two-year yield is down three basis points to 438. Separately, the People's Bank of China made no changes in their one-in-five-year loan prime rates, but there is ongoing speculation that some easing in China will be announced. On that front, we did see weakness in Chinese markets. Uh, Hang Seng down 2.3%, and the Chinese composite down 2.7%, as uh, international investors continue to lose confidence in investing in the Chinese markets. Uh, Notable that uh, Japan, one of the other leading Asian markets, was up about 1.6%. India closed for a holiday. In some individual corporate news, Boeing this morning is down after the FAA provided updates on grounding of Boeing 737 MAX 9 aircraft. Stock is down about three points, or 1.5%. Macy's uh, responded to uh, unsolicited non-binding proposals to acquire all of the outstanding shares of the company for $21 a share, saying that uh, they feel that uh, it is not representative of the value of Macy's. JetBlue and Spirit. Airlines uh, have filed a notice of appeal after the Justice Department and a judge uh, rejected uh, their uh, seeking to uh, come together in a merger on antitrust grounds. Uh, Solar Edge, symbol SEDG, announcing a 16% uh, global workforce reduction. Home Depot and Lowe's both downgraded to market perform from outperform at uh, Oppenheimer. Marriott, symbol MAR, announced a record year of global signings and strong net room growth, uh, room growth up over 15% over the previous year. Uh, some uh, general geopolitical news, uh, according to Reuters, Chinese banks uh, taking measures to support the uh, currency amid stock market declines. Wall Street Journal reporting that U.S., Egypt, and Qatar want Israel and Hamas to join a phased diplomatic uh, process. Over the weekend, uh, Ron DeSantis announced that he was suspending his presidential campaign and endorsed Donald Trump. That leaves uh, Nikki Haley as the uh, sole candidate uh, taking on Donald Trump in the next uh, Republican uh, 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 face-off, and that uh, being the primary in New Hampshire. And polling showing that uh, President Trump's lead is widening after DeSantis uh, has stepped out, and now his lead, at least according to polls, is up to uh, 17 uh, points uh, that Trump is leading over Nikki Haley. This week, uh, as I mentioned, the uh, first quarter earnings season kicking into high gear. Uh, Johnson & Johnson, Netflix, Procter & Gamble Tuesday, Abbott Labs, ASML, Tesla on Wednesday, Intel, T-Mobile, and Visa round out the week on Thursday. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, GDP um, is coming out on Thursday as well, and Friday is that uh, important uh, price uh, PCE uh, report uh, on prices. So last week markets hit a ri- markets hit a uh, high as ba- based on the S and P 500, 
and uh, the Federal Reserve uh, was out with commentary that wasn't uh, what one would expect, uh, given the market sitting all-time high, suggesting that uh, they may not be cutting rates as uh, quickly as the uh, markets had expected. So that begs the question, uh, what gives? What's going on? We'll try and uh, dive into that and provide some uh, clarity. So the stock market might not get what it wants from the Federal Reserve, but it may get what it needs from a U.S. economy that simply refuses to quit um, as per Barron's. The beginning of last week, it didn't look uh, like we were on our way to uh, record highs. The rally that ended 2023 was predicated on the idea that the Fed, whether it was ready to or not, would start cutting rates in 2024. And that outcome seemed even more likely after the Fed's meeting on December 13th when Chairman Jerome Powell hinted that the central bank had reached the end of its rate hiking cycle. The S&P 500 gained 14% during the last two months of 2023, and the 10-year Treasury yield fell all the way down to about 3.85%. Since then, Fed Governors Christopher Waller and Raphael Bostic have pushed back on the timing of rate cuts, and the economic data that were released last week have come close to vindicating them. Last week, we saw retail sales jump six-tenths of 1%, the largest increase uh, since uh, September of 2023, and first-time jobless claims last week fell 18,000 to 187,000. That's the lowest number in 16 months. What's more, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey uh, for January, which was released on Friday, uh, coincident with uh, the big uh, rally that we saw in the S&P, well, that survey showed a jump of 9.1 points to 78.8, the largest increase since 2005. What's driving consumers to feel so much better? is that inflation, uh, by many measures that they are looking at, has been coming down, and that has also affected their inflation expectations, which have fallen to their lowest level in three years, and expectations for better, better financial conditions increased. We've talked about this before. One of the uh, big drivers for uh, consumers in terms of their feelings on inflation and inflation expectations is as simple as what is the price that they see when they drive by gas stations and what is gasoline selling for? Even if you have an electric vehicle, it seems to be something that drives your expectations. Those numbers are coming down. Consumers are feeling a lot better. And by the end of the week, we saw that the chances of a March rate cut because of the fact that uh, consumers are feeling better, the economy's uh, holding on to a, a stronger trajectory than expected, and the probability of a rate cut has gone from 79% to 52% in just the past week. That in of itself could have been the end of the stock market, and at first it looked like uh, the fact that the Fed may not be cutting rates as much as expected uh, looked like that was what was going to happen. The S&P dropped 1.1% the first two days of last week. However, as mentioned previously, by Friday the index had gained 1.2% for the week and closed at a record high. Not even a spike in the 10-year Treasury yield to 415, its highest level in more than a month, was able to coax investors out of the market. None of this makes sense if the factors driving the market now are the same ones that caused the market to uh, skyrocket or uh, move up significantly at the end of last year. The fact that the market is holding up as well as it has demonstrate that something is starting to shift, at least underneath the surface. The market is starting to price in more economic growth and fewer rate cuts. While that's been painful for some of the more defensive sectors, which are expected to be the uh, better performers this year, like utilities, which were down 37 last week, and real estate, which uh, has been down uh, 2% last week, um, the overall effect for the market has uh, been more than positive as uh, the market uh, participants have uh, chosen to dive back into what works or what's been working, and that is technology stocks, specifically 
the Magnificent Seven. So speaking about the Federal Reserve, which obviously still remains very important, even if they're not going to cut rates, uh, which who knows if they will or they won't, as much as at least the markets were expecting, Barron's uh, ran an article entitled, The Market is Expecting Rate Cuts, the Fed Needs to Provide Clarity. And the task before the Federal Open Market Committee at their next meeting, which is at the end of this month, will be to reconcile the big gap between market expectations for rate cuts and the panel's own projections for policy for 2024. Well, it's all but certain there will be no rate moves at the end of the two-day meeting on January 31st, so in about nine days. Market participants will be eager to hear how Fed Chair Powell explains potential future cuts. Present conditions show steady economic growth highlighted by low unemployment, inflation still above the central bank's targets, and a marked easing in financial conditions highlighted by tighter credit spreads and high equity valuations. Of course, also in the background, we have the looming November uh, presidential elections. Federal fund futures, though, continue to price in up to six rate reductions at 25 points apiece by December. The market backpedaled on its expectations for the first cut coming as soon as March, following comments last week by Fed Governor Waller, suggesting no rapid uh, easing is needed. And Waller's comments are especially notable because late last year, he was the one who helped trigger the speculation about rate cuts, which sparked the huge rally in stocks and bonds in November of last year. So the futures market remains, meaning the market uh, in terms of uh, in terms of expectations is priced by the futures and what the futures are saying about interest rates going forward. Futures market remains well ahead of the Federal Reserve based on their most recent uh, summary of economic projections, which was released at the December meeting. Uh, the Federal Reserve calls for the equivalent of 325 basis point cuts by the end of next year. And of course, uh, market's looking for six of those cuts. Now, we were just talking about Governor Waller, Christopher Waller, who is an influential voice on policy, is the former head of uh, uh, research at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, said this past week that rates would have to start to come down to the come down once the FOMC is convinced that inflation was sustainably uh, near the 2% target. So keyword there from uh, Governor Waller, sustainably near 2%. And he's saying that that has to be measured over three and six month spans, which indicates that perhaps he's on hold for longer than the markets uh, were previously anticipating. The concern is that failing to lower the Fed funds rate um, would amount to an inadvertent tightening from the rise in the real rate as the pace of price increases wanes. So what does that mean? So some are concerned that if the Fed does not cut rates, but inflation comes down, what that means is that the real rate will remain high, uh, meaning that if uh, you keep a Fed funds rate at 5.5%, inflation comes to 2%, well, that makes it uh, that the real rate of return on short-term uh, debt, um, let's call it uh, you know, short-term treasuries, is close to 3 to 3.5%, 3 making those securities look really attractive when you have such a high real rate of return, and therefore, that is something that would uh, create tighter financial conditions, perhaps uh, encourage more money to move into those uh, investments and therefore have an impact on the economy that perhaps is uh, more tightening than the Federal Reserve intends. But the counter-argument is that there is easing going on at the same time as there is that tightening, and they are perhaps offsetting each other. So one of the big easings that's going on is the fact that the equity markets are moving higher, and therefore that's indicative of financial conditions that are easing. Currently, the markets are at 22 times estimated earnings over the next 12 months, and that is a rich valuation when the Fed still has short-term uh, interest rates uh, pegged near 5.5%. 
So if you put that into perspective, if the interest rates are where they currently are, and you look at the P.E. ratio relative to historic metrics, then it can be argued that uh, the uh, markets at 22 times earnings um, are trading uh, significantly above where they would be if you have a Fed target rate of five and a quarter to five and a half percent based on historical precedent. And if that rate's not coming down, then perhaps the market P.E. ratio would have to drop in order to justify uh, those higher rates. Uh, so, of course, over the next uh, several months, we will uh, see uh, who's right, who's wrong, and uh, we will have more commentary uh, as things uh, unfold. So, talking about some individual stocks and some individual ideas, um, Barron's, uh, I mentioned last week, uh, held uh, their roundtable, and uh, the uh, conversation uh, continued uh, this week and uh, remained the cover story of Barron's as uh, this group of uh, market uh, professionals uh, gathered to outline some of what they see going forward and some of their ideas. As we talked about last week, uh, this group was uh, very cautious uh, for 2024, expecting the market range uh, to be anywhere between down 5% and up 5%, meaning uh, the S&P to be in a very tight range in 2024, at least in terms of where it closes. Um, and uh, perhaps uh, these folks uh, will be uh, correct, and perhaps they won't. Um, but we did see is that uh, as uh, as they gathered, uh, we saw the uh, markets uh, gain uh, a significant amount. We saw the markets uh, take off to uh, all-time highs as judged by the S&P 500. And once again, these gains being led by the Magnificent Seven, uh, something that this group uh, did not uh, anticipate uh, continuing. And of course, this group, May be correct, uh, but at least at the uh, at the outset here, um, they are uh, swimming upstream, so to speak, as uh, the uh, strength of uh, what worked last year continues uh, to work in uh, 2024, at least uh, so far. But this group did have some uh, other ideas, and I will share a few with you. Uh, David Giroux, um, who is with uh, T. Rowe Price and has a uh, fantastic uh, long-term uh, track record, uh, mentioned a few different stocks, and I thought he had some interesting ideas, and I thought I'd share some with you. One of which is uh, RTX, uh, also known uh, by some as Raytheon. Um, it's trading around 85, has a market cap of $123 billion. Uh, valuation is 15.9 times 2024 time earnings estimates. Uh, RTX's business is about 50% uh, defense, 50% commercial aerospace. Um, the reason the stock is trading in attractive multiple is because the stock has uh, sold off in the past 12 to 18 months. One reason is the company set some aggressive targets and had to walk them back. Um, but perhaps a uh, bigger reason is more recently, the Pratt & Whitney division of uh, RTX had a problem with its geared turbofan, which is a component uh, on uh, these engines. And uh, that is forcing them to uh, remediate uh, hundreds of engines and uh, get them uh, maintenance before their scheduled maintenance maintenance and this problem is going to cost RTX about 3 to 3 and a half billion dollars after that came out uh, analysts jumped on the uh, downgrade bandwagon um, and at one point uh, Raytheon had lost about 35 billion dollars in market value or about 10 times the cost of addressing the issue but David Giroux feels beyond 2025 the impact of these problems on future cash flow is relatively minor he says what really matters is the defense business, a third of which is tied to missiles. Probably the one thing in the defense budget, he says, that needs a massive increase in production. He also says in two to three years, the uh, 
turbo uh, geared turbofan uh, issue will go away and free cash flow will increase massively. And he estimates that RTX will earn about seven dollars and thirty four cents in two thousand and twenty eight, excluding its pension expense. And you put a multiple on that, and he says the stock could have a compound growth rate of fourteen to fifteen uh, percent. Next up on his list that I will share with you is a biotech stock, um, now sort of a mainstream a pharmaceutical company, uh, known as Biogen, symbol boy, Ida, Ida, Bravo. Uh, before this article uh, was published, it was trading around $260 per share, market cap of $39 billion. Company has $10 billion in sales and trades for 16 times 2024 uh, earnings estimates. Um, in November of 22, the company brought in a new CEO. He put in place an $800 million net cost-cutting program that will add $5 a share to earnings by 2025 off of a $15 base in 2023. In addition, Biogen has completed the acquisition of Riata Pharmaceuticals, which makes Skylaris, you may have seen those commercials, uh, for the treatment of Friedrich's uh, ataxia, which is a rare neuromuscular disease. Looking out three to four years, that could add $5 a share to earnings. But what really gets David uh, Giroux excited is uh, the Alzheimer's drug product that they have, Lequembi. Biogen owns 50% of the economics. Japanese uh, biotech company Isai owns the rest. Uh, Lequembi provides a 27% reduction in the rate of cognitive decline of Alzheimer's, equivalent to a two-year delay in production. Uh, he expects the drug to generate about $2 billion of revenue in 2028 and $4 billion by 2033, but he says there could be upside uh, to those uh, numbers. Um, he says uh, there are three things to note. One, they assume a 60% market share for Biogen versus Eli Lilly, which has a competing drug, but he says this could be a conservative estimate because the Biogen drug has a better safety profile. Second, both the Biogen and the Eli Lilly products uh, will be approved for intravenous infusion, but Biogen is likely to have a subcutaneous version in the fall that could be administered at home. And perhaps most excitingly, doctors are saying that there is a potential to treat Alzheimer's before the disease ever shows up. Amyloids, which are implicated in Alzheimer's, tend to accumulate 10 to 15 years before symptoms show up. Many treatments failed historically because they were given to people in later stages of the disease when the plaque removal didn't help. In three to five years, he thinks, when diagnostic tests for amyloid are better, a 50-year-old might get tested as part of an annual physical and given a small dose of Lequimbi if plaque is present. Assuming the process is repeated every few years, we could see a significant diminishing in the number of Alzheimer's cases by 2020, uh, 2040. If Liquimbi works, sales could be many times of a multiple of their 2033 forecast of $4 billion. Every incremental $1 billion in sales could be worth $3 to $3.50 per share. He also thinks that uh, Biogen, uh, as a result of these two exciting uh, uh, drugs, uh, could be uh, could be an attractive acquisition candidate for Big Pharma, which is facing a patent cliff. Companies like Merck, Amgen, Pfizer, and Bristol Myers will all have to replace lost revenue. Biogen, with two growth pat products with patent lives into their mid 2030s, uh, suggests uh, that uh, their interesting pipeline could be uh, one that is attractive to Big Pharma. And he also thinks that uh, there's very little overlap with existing drugs that these big pharmaceutical companies uh, have in their pipeline, therefore making uh, 
probability of uh, approval of a merger uh, more likely than not. One stock uh, I'll share with you that was uh, mentioned in Barron's, not part of the uh, roundtable discussion, um, is BP, formerly known as British uh, Petroleum. Uh, Barron said it's been ignored for too long and it's time to buy. Uh, BP made no investors happy after it said in 2020 that it would seek to cut its hydrocarbon production by 40% by 2030. And uh, climate-focused Europeans uh, still saw it as a traditional energy company and stayed away. And uh, American investors uh, who remain committed to core oil and gas businesses felt that uh, Chevron and ExxonMobil would be better candidates uh, who are devoted to uh, traditional uh, energy production. So BP was ignored both uh, on both sides of the pond, uh, but uh, Barron's saying BP is getting back to what it does best. BP has had a change of heart. The company has refocused on its oil and gas business, particularly its attractive U.S.-oriented operations that are perhaps underappreciated on both sides of the Atlantic. BP is one of the two largest oil producers in the Gulf of Mexico and has sh strong position onshore in the Permian, Hinesville, and Eagle Ford regions of Texas. By 2030, BP aims to boost its American oil and gas production by more than 50% and get half of its projected output of 2 million barrels a day from the United States. Uh, Barron saying the market has not noticed this shift yet. Companies' U.S. listed shares are trading around 34 after hitting a 52-week low last week. They fetched just seven times 2024 earnings of $5 a share, which is cheap even for big European energy companies which trade inexpensively versus their U.S. peers. BP's 5% dividend is the highest among major oils, and the dividend remains a top priority. The company aims to boost it by 4% annually, even if crude oil prices were to fall from the current price of about $80 a barrel to $60 a barrel. The company also has an active share repurchase program. It probably bought back about $8 billion of stock in 2023, or about 8% of uh, the market cap at the time, and is expected to repurchase another 4 to $6 billion in 2024. BP is expected to uh, re report earnings on February 6th. Uh, Bernstein analyst Oswald Clint saying there is so much value in BP that is not being priced in. He did a sum of the parts analysis that came up with a value about double the current uh, share price. In order to understore its commitment to the traditional energy business, BP held an investor meeting in Denver in October to highlight its onshore U.S. energy footprint. It plans to double production to 653,000 barrels a day by 2030 and to quadruple annual free cash flow to $4 billion. The company also has plenty of oil and grass in the ground. BP puts its currently recoverable resource base at 18 billion barrels of oil, equivalent to about 20 years of production um, at current levels. That's versus an average uh, in a large integrated energy company um, with an expected life of 9 to 13 years. So there are a lot of things that could go right at BP, and not a lot of it is factored into its depressed stock. Uh, so it says Barron's with a pretty secure 5% dividend yield saying it's a low-risk way to play the future of oil and perhaps a lot more. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lantern. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com. 
Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.